0: Pam Ochoa, I have two questions for you today. And I know what you're saying. I know what the audience is what? saying. They're, they're saying, oh, my God, you can't ask two questions. That's against the rules.
1: But I make the rules, okay? I make the rules. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just
1: All right, I'll know. brace myself and try to answer two.
0: I don't make the rules. This, this question thing, I don't even remember how we came up with the question thing. I think we were just like, how do we start the show? And we're like, I don't know. Let's just do a question. So it was a joint I, think that, I don't know question. It really was. But, okay, so my question to you, question number one is, which one of us is hmm. the worst at time management? Is it me or is it you?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it might be me. I don't know. I don't know, because here's the thing. So let's, I want to give people Our some- management. Well, let's give people oh. some uh,
0: some background, because nine times out of ten- I feel like I'm rescheduling when we record. Right today, I go at recording time. I call you. And go, hey, give me 25 minutes.
1: Now you be- say give me three. I I did three. Then first. you said five, and then you went 21, and then yeah. you went three.
0: Mm-hmm. It was so <laughs> I mean, and, to be
1: honest, and
0: I and I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie. You know, I have been criticized about my time management before by colleagues and administrators alike. So I don't know. Do you feel that pressure? Are you bad, or are you, or are you better at time management than me?
1: No, that's not. That's not always been my my strong suit. I, I tell you why. I think it's because I get myself involved in so many different things that I think can get. I I can get one more thing done. and just get one more thing done, and that one more thing usually takes ten or fifteen minutes longer than I expect. And now I'm not finished with the other stuff I was supposed to be done. So I'm pretty, sometimes I get too many projects going at one time. Uh, and sometimes I just want to sit, you know, that's part of my problem. I can sit there and just think about things for a long time and let a lot of time go by. So I have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, time management. Yeah, I just, um, some circles think I'm, I'm real uh, good at management and other circles know the truth.
0: Just depends, right? I always say it's my my artistic brain, right? I'm I'm an artist. I'm a creative person. I don't work on schedules. I actually try to sabotage them nine times out of 10. So (laughs) the fact that I even function as an adult is actually a really good sign.
1: (laughs) That's a good sign. Hey, I, you know, I just, sometimes I really, truly, I think it just Things just get caught up with you real fast, you know. So you have to really prioritize, and I try to do that. So I'm better, I think, at school than I am like in my own personal lives because it'll be oh, here for tomorrow sure. for sure. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I well, I get too.
0: And this is also why so I'm like, not I that respond. Great yeah I respond to emails at like midnight, so that's that's how I roll. but so question two the reason oh, okay. I want to bring up I, I want to bring up question two and the reason I want to do two is because this one directly affects what I'm gonna say in the intro, okay? That's why I wanted to oh. ask but uh, but it's also what I called you about today. so even more backstory uh, you know people I, I want people we're gonna bring people We're gonna take the curtain away, okay
1: So this is the call I missed.
0: Yeah, because so, I was
1: moving out of my other school. Yeah, you're doing work
0: and I'm over here trying to like call you and tell you things cuz I'm ridiculous and then I was like, "You know what? We'll just save it for the show. We'll just save it for the show."
1: But I okay, know I'm nervous, but so okay. My question
0: for you is how many times do you think that I have uploaded the wrong file on the podcast and revealed the non-edited version of our show to our <laughs> listeners?
1: <laughs> No way. You've been doing that? How many? Give me well, a number. I know Give for me a sure number. one occurred, but I'm thinking at least four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you Look, doing that really? I, I hope we okay. didn't have all those bad words I said the other day. <laughs> well,
0: and here's the thing. You know, like I, I've talked about my son a lot on the both podcasts, and uh, you know, he's he is autistic, so, like, we say, okay, be quiet, but then if something excites him or if he gets mad, like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And sometimes he walks in here. So there's like gaps in audio and we cut all that stuff out. And, you know, I'm like right under the stairs. So sometimes he's bonking around and, you know, we cut those parts out for the for the listeners to have ease of listening. So they don't have a screaming child whenever they're jogging or driving to work or whatever. Um, So I don't I don't think it's happened too many times. It has definitely happened three times, including last week. Uh, so, and I didn't know until, so I was sitting there, I was driving around this morning, Kaylee, I I woke up and my wife was like, hey, go to Starbucks, pick us up some breakfast and coffee. And so I was like, sweet. So I go out and I make some morning errands today and... I ran out of podcasts to listen to, so I clicked on Craft and Draft. Every once in a while, I like I don't listen to my stuff all the time because I don't I think need you to now need myself. to listen to
1: it every time. That's going to have to be something you have to do. Every well, and
0: time. like what I usually do, in all honesty, is when I when the podcast posts, because people get it the moment I hit submit. If you're subscribed to the podcast, it immediately updates. Like it literally takes less than five seconds once I hit the button to appear on my phone. Um, so I usually test it. Uh, just to make sure it sounds good or make sure it uploaded or whatever. I didn't do that on this last one. So I missed the ball there. And then today when I was driving, it starts and I hear us, me telling you that we're recording. And I go, hey, go, 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 go. if I make this weird noise.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, it was on there. <laughs> oh my god. So I'm Jake like oh sabotaging our our work. I, know. I know. I'm like
0: oh no. So, I'm driving and just listening to this <laughs> unedited. I mean to be fair, the show's still good. You just hear all of the side stuff that we usually cut from the podcast. So if you know, shout out to the listeners because they're like uh, they you know, they're just taking it like there there was no music like you know that intro guitar that we do like that didn't exist. So uh. there was like <laughs> Weird stuff there, but you know, it was, it wasn't too bad, but I was like, oh my God, you just, I bet people think we're so weird because of (laughs) these these (laughs) random (laughs) interests. What's cool about this though, is let's say someone hears this show. We're recording this, what, May 22nd, 2021. Right. If someone hears this episode. Later, so a year from now, and they go try to download those episodes. They're going to get the updated versions because I fixed it. So the people on the ground floor, the people that are following this podcast from our first <laughs> season, like deal. our yeah, our first year of doing this, they're the ones who get to see all the mess ups and have documentation. If they don't delete that, they're the only people with those <laughs> downloads. <laughs> so let's hope that we don't. We didn't say anything on there that was uh, foul um, or anything else oh that goodness. might have happened so I hope, I, hope I, not. I I just want to apologize as your partner but I also want to yes. welcome everyone to the <laughs> crafted draft. <laughs> Podcast. We talk about read a good writing workshop here. We also admit when we mess up every once in a while, because we're just teachers doing this. Okay. We're just, if you need proof that we're just two teachers podcasting, it's the fact that we upload the wrong files often. Well, I do often. So that's a problem. Uh, regardless, we appreciate you coming here and listening, and having fun and laughing with us. You guys today, we're talking about differentiation and more importantly, how workshop, uh, Allows us to do this, give us the framework to differentiate uh, as best we can. And I'm sure we'll go on a couple of tangents because that's what this podcast is about. You know, if you're expecting a 10 minute podcast where we just give you a scripted piece, you're in the wrong place. We're here for great conversation, meanderings, and musings and wonderings on all sides of these issues. So, welcome. Thank you for listening. Let's go talk. All righty. All right. So differentiation, uh, oh man, it's hard. To, it's hard to talk serious now after just making fun of ourselves for nine minutes, right? So let, let's start at the beginning, okay? Let's start when the Earth was void, right? Let's let's go all the way back and talk differentiation and say when, because I feel like differentiation was one of those things that people told me to do, and as a young teacher, I was like. I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to give a lesson and kind of roll with it. Like it was one of those concepts that I talked about and I nodded along with, but I had no idea what it actually meant. And I feel like anyone new listening to this, like probably feels the same. And I just want to tell them that it's okay. But I want to ask you, did you feel like that was differentiation, like this nebulous concept when you started teaching?
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's something that people say, "Oh, you must differentiate your instruction, but they don't really explain how it has to be differentiated or what does it take and uh, so but you know, I get my master's is in gifted education, so uh, we had a whole class on differentiation, so when that happened, uh, it really cleared a whole lot up for me. Now, I think it's sometimes difficult to do. It's definitely something that you need time management for because you really have to take, I think, copious notes and uh, really know where your students are at to make it effective. But uh, the person, our textbook was uh, Carol Ann Tomlinson from the, I think she's from Virginia or the, yeah, Virginia or the Carolinas right there. I think she's from Virginia. Man, how do you remember that? Oh, because I had a whole class on it, a whole class on it. But uh, anyway, she she's probably the queen of of uh, differentiation. So if you really want to know anything about it, Carolyn Tomlinson is the one to go to.
0: You know, my one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite things about this show is we're. I feel like we give we do our due diligence at giving credit to like everything we talk about, right? Like, oh yeah. We, Like, we're so – because you and I think the same. Like, we believe in, like, the lineage of stuff. Like, you know, it's Mm – I think I've said this before on the show, but it is kind of like Buddhism in a way where it's like one master passes it on to the next master, to the next, and to the next. And it's just – I like that because it provides people with uh, a roadmap, so to speak, but it also – you know, it it just gives – there's probably multiple roadmaps. Like, the people we know, there's probably other roadmaps to get to these certain things. So I don't know. I just wanted to point that out, but you know, differentiation, I, I I have a story that I think about every time I think about this and I tell, uh, I tell like newer teachers who I might be coaching or, uh, who I'm working with just on campus. These, I, I tell them this story because I feel like it's a, it's a really honest look at what differentiation looks like before workshop. Okay. And this is, so I was teaching and I had a coach who was, you know, taking care of me. He's one of the main reasons he's actually like episode two or three of teach me teacher. Like he taught me everything that I knew at the time about like gifted and talented. And he was one of the, like one of the people that saved me from my awful first year and made sure I didn't drown and stuff. But, uh, he was working with me on a coaching cycle about differentiation. Right. And so he came up with this idea. It was very simple and in hindsight it was it was really good information and I think I've transformed it in a variety of ways but he sat with me in this planning session he goes okay bring a lesson so I brought whatever lesson I had I don't remember what it was and he goes okay so this is good I like you. you have your standards you have the teaching you have what students are supposed to do and how you know kids are learning he goes what we're missing is how to help kids get to that next phase let's say you start them working and they can't do it right he's like you need some type of supplemental thing to help them. And he goes, let's because it was like concept. I don't remember what it was. It was when I was just a reading teacher. We hadn't forged, we haven't merged reading and writing at the time in our district. Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes, what if we printed out some of these, a sheet with like these definitions and you're not going to give these to everyone because they should already know these concepts. But for kids that don't, and they ask you questions, you're going to just going to hand them that sheet. So like a differentiation sheet of just information that they should know. Right. Um, and that's like where I started was just handy, like creating almost like supplemental pieces of information to hand them, uh, in this instance. And I think back on that and I was like, you know, that's not horrible practice, right? Like that's, that's fairly decent. It's, it's a little basic, but it's probably basic, not because of the, not because of his recommendation, but because of my lesson, right? You can only do so much with kind of a, a hat, not a half baked, but a, a premature lesson, I guess, or a lesson that wasn't really that deep. But like, that was my idea of differentiation for, I mean, quite a while. And it really wasn't until workshop when I realized, like when I started opening up my classroom to be about their reading and to be about uh, the topics that they choose, that was when I was like, Oh, differentiation, is like my definition, it became, I guess it switched from, uh, what I'm going to do to differentiate my support for them and their learning to how am I going to set up the parameters for them to differentiate within my teaching, right? It became, it flipped, um, you're nodding your head. Does that is that how you think about it? Because that w- that was like the, the click for me, but I don't know, I don't think I've ever verbalized this. So it's I'm kind of discovering my own thinking on this as we go.
1: Right. Well, I think what you described earlier would be what somebody about called tiered instruction. And yeah. so you differentiate by levels. And so you can differentiate by the content in which you give the students, which is what you were doing. And I think I think, but and that, to me, is probably where you need to start. Exactly where he, he started you is probably really the best place because it's just hard to do. And then to actually, like you said, create your entire classroom where differentiation just happens. I mean, that's got to have some, some pre-work to it. It's The teacher has to pre-work so that the actual work gets done by the students. And so I, I was shaking my head because, yeah, in workshop model – That really is one of the best places for this kind of thing to occur. But you can um, differentiate by, um, you know, product where the students have choice in the type of product that they want to deliver. And I think you do that. You know, that's one place where I really differentiate. And then you can differentiate in your actual assessment. You can differentiate in uh, your teaching and the way you teach, and I think um, in your delivery. And so to me, like conferencing and things like that that we do is a great place to differentiate your delivery for students. So, you know, I just think workshop opens itself up to do all the different areas that are necessary uh, in differentiation. I mean, it allows you to have more freedom to do more options.
0: I I feel like I differentiate a lot more in, well, I don't know, let me back up. I feel like the one of the problems with differentiation, just in a systematic look, right, if we're just looking at the way general public schools work, I feel like where a lot of differentiation fails is because the way we assess is so standardized, right? Like that's kind of the world that we're forced into. You know, there's a quote that gets passed around a lot. I know Evan Robb, uh, Laura Robb's son shares this quote often, which is, uh, you know, why do we, why, why, something along the lines of why do we, if kids are not standardized, then why do we standardize our tests? Now I I have like an academic reason why that's true, like why standardized tests exist, but I get the, I get the concept of what that's saying, right? Of what that quote is, which is, you know, why are we assessing kids in this standardized way? And I I feel like the assessment is so fascinating to me because I feel like it is one of the most, it is one of the most understood aspects about what we do, but it is at the most critical in terms of informing our teaching, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because assessment getting to know what kids know and what they can do and th- those fundamental pieces are it's, it's essential to building your mini lessons your scope and sequence in your classroom to kind of figure out where you want to go um, and yet we often don't differentiate that assessment piece and i think it's because of this pressure from just the standardized world. I'm sure there's principals everywhere that wants data to look a specific way. And it might be fun, you know, if we sit here and say, hey, you know, do a project every once in a while. Let a kid create something. And teachers are probably like, okay, cool. All right. Well, my principal needs this data. So I'm not going to do that project and I'm going to do this test. So what would be your response to someone who might be in that situation or better yet, how do you get around the, the problem of standardized tests? Cause we have, we have the same demands, right? We are expected to have specific data. Our data needs to be quantifiable. We have to, uh, teach in, in accordance to showing what kids are, you know, going to do on our state test and all of that stuff. So we're, we we do not live in a world without this, but how do you circumvent that to allow that freedom of a differentiated uh, assessment model?
1: Well, um, well, I think you have to have a, ver- a variety of, of different types of assessments. So I think. I try to do one type of assessment all the way through, and that would be your pre-test and your post-test, and that would be an actual test. And it has to be. First of all, you have to start out with. I think that what is it that backwards design idea? Um, I think that's McTighe is the one who who created those things. Understanding by design, and that is where you use the standard and you come up with what you what you, what you know you have to teach. And then as far as the product, I like to have at least, you know, your essays or your written products, right? And those are off of rubrics. So I think you need to uh, show what to the students, if it's, if it's an essay or if it's a, a project of some sort or, or some other kind of product that they choose, um, it was recommended. And, I, and I've done this some when I had my GT class, and that was where I gave them a product guide. And then based on that product guide, that product guide was created based on the standards that we had to be assessed on or had to teach. And then from there, you use that product guide to create your rubric. And the rubric is based on the standards that you teach, not just does it look good? Does it feel good? You know, does it sound good? I mean, it's got to be based actually on standards. And so, so your data should have quantitative and qualitative aspects to it if you're really going to do true true data and see where your kids are at. And then based on that is where you determine what you need to do for the students. And then you begin again. It's easy not to do. <laughs> it sounds easy. Do you remember Until when you have to get in there and then you have need time management. That's probably where yeah. we all fall apart.
0: Sure. Well... Tie it back to us. Um, <laughs> our, you know, do you remember that day I was reading uh, Rosenblatt. I was reading one of her books. Oh, yeah,
1: Louise. Yeah. We're on a first Louise day Rosenblatt. basis. She passed yeah, away, are. though.
0: Um, for anyone who hasn't read <clears throat> her research, you've probably read it in different books if you read a lot of PD. Because uh, she's cited in a lot of places. But what's her... I'm, I'm blanking on the terms. You said qualitative and quantitative what's the term that she used it's efferent and yes do you know what i'm talking about can you yes am i putting you too much on the spot to know those terms
1: no except you asked me now i can't think of it
0: well here let me see if i
1: can efferent is to read read uh in order to to learn and to pull information. Effort aesthetic. versus
0: aesthetic. aesthetic. Oh, you got it. Oh, you got it before me.
1: Yeah, that's what happens. Aesthetic is for enjoyment. And we have to be able to read for both.
0: Yeah. So here's the reason I wanted to bring this up. I think this is really uh-huh. interesting for a lot of kids. So I have the definitions up kind of right now. Uh, and so this piece. Did I get them right? Yeah. So let's, let's read this huh. and kind of see. So it says the question is why the reader is reading and what the reader aims to get out of reading. Is the text mm-hmm. established primarily to help readers gain information with as little reading as possible, or is it this, or is the site established to order, in order to create an aesthetic experience? So efferent reading is to take away particular bits of information. Right. Um, I guess that would be like articles. Correct.
1: Well, just any kind. I mean, like if you are any type of. Reading where you're actually gaining information, so articles would probably be your best thing. That's but the it most It could be a story, one. it could be poetry. Yeah. You could be mm. reading to get uh, to analyze, and that would be effort reading, mm-hmm.
0: right? And so I, I that, see here's why I think this is where the the dual philosophy of craft and draft uh, comes into play here, is because even reading that, right? Uh, my, you know, the uh, effort in reading in this would be this. You know, article reading, but what you and I try to do as much as possible is, you know, poetry can be informative, right? Fiction can be informative. Oh, yeah. There's all of those things. So it doesn't have to be tied to anything. And then, so aesthetic is the other side it's reading to explore the work and oneself. Here, the readers are engaged in the experience of reading itself. Uh, Rosenblatt states in aesthetic reading, the reader's attention is centered directly on what he is living through during okay. his relationship with that particular text. And so I, the reason I wanted to bring this up was this concept of assessment. Uh, so, you know, we I think we live like I think on the low tier, right? For teachers that might not be versed in just what quality assessment is, you know, it's like comprehension questions. Or, or not even that. It's like what was, you know, what what did Pony Boy say on page 74, right? Like stuff like right. that. That's like the the lowest tier of assessment is asking right. very point blank questions. The next tier, you know, is kind of getting to You know, why might the author do this? What can we infer from this character's action? And then I think the next next tier is really asking questions that has to deal not only with the what is being implied and said in a text, but also changing it and looking at it in a bunch of different directions. And I think that we talk about differentiation in terms of. Uh, like, kids might have disabilities. They might be dyslexic. They might be whatever. But we don't really talk about, like, neurodiversity when we talk about differentiation, right? We When we talk about gifted and talented students, for instance, this, this language is very common of looking at things through different lenses, uh, changing some of that stuff. You're, you're far more well-versed in a lot of those strategies than I am. But uh, in assessment, I think it's really uh, – I think it's really important for us to find ways to assess kids' understanding in a, in a variety of contexts, right? A standardized test is a very specific one. Okay, so let's get them to write about it. That'll give you different information. Okay, now let's get mm-hmm. them to artistically represent something. And then that gets a different, uh, then you start digging into their, their multiple intelligences of the children you're serving. And I think <clears throat> what this will do uh, for the teacher, is it gives you so much more information that way? It's like, oh, they missed question five. Now it's, well, they missed question five, but they did really good at this analysis over here. So uh, I, I feel like that is that's the data. I think that is the the lifeblood of a workshop. Is that workshop does not rely on just answering questions. It's how do you use this information in practice? How do you uh, represent it. How do you use what we're learning in your own creations? And I think all of that combined creates this. This it, it creates differentiated assessment, but because it does that, it creates differentiated instruction.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that sounds really. <laughs> Did I go off on that? I didn't I didn't mean to lose you on that one. I was, <laughs> you did I was feeling <laughs> that yeah, it was good. No, I agree with you. I just I just all of a sudden I kind of was like, okay, that sounds great. I was
0: thinking
1: <laughs> <laughs> You can and tell by the way, be, this is the easy. I end was of the trying year. to be I was trying to be intellectual and it wasn't working. My brain wasn't going there. That's no, so funny. I, I, Yeah, I mean I I agree with you as far as like the different techniques and stuff like that. I, where I was going and probably why I got a little bit lost is you mentioned you know in your in GT classes in gifted and ed, you know gifted and talented education they you know you mentioned that I already know how to do some of that stuff. The the where I went in my brain was but all kids need this that's where i was going yeah, yeah and i think we have a tendency my mother uh you know she was she taught mainly all on level uh, students she was not an ib uh, in her, at her school at her high school they had ib program she was not one of the ib teachers and her complaint to me often was you know they send these ib teachers they send these prep p teachers they send all of these honors teachers uh to pd and she never gets to go like she says i would love to learn how to do something but you always but they'd always say oh i'm sorry you're you're not honored so you don't get to go and i think um i think we should expect that type of training from all of our teachers to be honest because i think our students uh that are on the lower spectrum of learning if you will uh, can do just as well when you offer selected a uh, choice selections, and you offer differentiated instruction in the sense that that you see what they need and then you meet them there. Um, you know, Vygotsky would call that the zone of proximal development. Everybody develops at a different place. And it's within that zone, what they're able to do and where they can reach with help. That's where we need to be teaching these kids. And the thing is, is every one of those students are at a different place. And it doesn't matter that they're GT and it doesn't matter that they're special ed. As a matter of fact, Lev Vygotsky began as a special ed teacher. He wanted to prove, he set out to prove that all students could learn and and he he did that and so it's not that they can't learn it's just just they learn at a different level and a different rate so as teachers we need to have the training and um i think the desire if you will to learn how to meet our students where they're at so that we can pull them or push them along depending on what they need well
0: and i think you know my son is a really interesting example and and You know, for special education, you know, he's autistic, so he learns at incredible rate. He was able to read before he could talk. Like, I have a picture of him spelling "professional" like on the bathroom wall with little magnets. When he, like, when he couldn't even say a sentence, right? My Mm -hmm. my students today can barely spell "professional." Um, They they spell it
1: p r p e r.
0: Yeah, they go per (laughs) professional. That's.
1: That's but how I would
0: spell. It. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I already <laughs> got that phonemic uh kind of spelling going on. Uh,
1: um
0: but uh he like he's a kid that's a perfect example of he understands all these concepts. Put a standardized test in front of him, like it's not gonna work out the way that it would traditionally. But we have like that's a like that's a that's a very specific and kind of dramatic. Uh, example, all of our kids have that there every kid mm-hmm. has different strengths and weaknesses according to some uh things and you know sitting a kid in a class where they take a three hour four hour test. And expecting that to give data, good data on every single kid is wrong. And here's the thing. We can't just talk about how bad standardized testing is. We all know that. Like, we all know that, like, it isn't the the greatest thing, right? But it's here and we have to deal with it. What we can do, though, is figure out how to differentiate instruction, differentiate assessment in our own classes so that we can serve the kids that are in our space, right like we can't we can't just die on this hill of well this is the game we're playing no we're not we're playing the game of helping kids we just happen to have to deal with all this other stuff that's there too and i'm sorry if that's a little if that's more work and you know if you have to kind of push a little bit to do something but it is what it is right this mm-hmm. is the way our jobs are so let's figure it out because at the end of the day here's what i'm going to care about i whatever like you know our scores Uh, We just took our state test. You have your scores back. Y'all did digital. We did paper. So we have to wait a few more days to get our results. Whatever results come back from my students. At the end of the day, I have, I looked at my iPad and it tracks how many conferences I've done. I've done over 1,200 conferences with my students this year. I have, I have about 60, no, I have about 53 conferences. Uh, In person students and I conference with my online kids, but I kind of I you, uh, track those differently. But so out of fifty three kids, I conference twelve hundred times this year with students where I took pictures of work, I wrote down notes, I wrote down conversations. I have all of that information. I have uh, I haven't calculated how many pieces they did, but I did a survey. Uh, with my students uh, this last Friday, and almost all of them said that they had published about between 7 to 10 pieces this year, so do the math yourself. Uh, They are... So I have all of those pieces to look at, and I have multiple uh, projects that we've done, and actual tests based on standardized tests. All of that information to tell me, did they learn, right? one of I think it was last week or the week before, you asked me if looping up was... (laughs) If looping up helped my kids learn. I have all of that data to look back on. Uh, and But that is that is the what is going to satisfy me at the end of the day. Yes, I have to look at these standardized tests. But did I differentiate enough um, to get them where they needed to be? Did my differentiation lead to them learning more? Uh, that's what makes me satisfied as an educator. And, you know, Workshop gives me the tools to do that, right? Because when we allow kids to write whatever they want to write about that's differentiation built in, right? We're not saying you yeah. have to write a specific essay. You have to do this. And I, I feel like that is, that is such a, it's such a magical thing to know that built in to authentic workshop differentiation is there. And I think that is, I think that's why kids get empowered through this process is because they know they're not put in a box. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, that is one of the things. That's probably one of the reasons why I like doing workshop versus other things. And when you try to put me in a box by myself I get a little bit unhinged because back. I kind of push back a little bit because I know what's best for my kids and what's best for them is for them to do the work, for them to find their own voices. I already have my voice. I already know what i mean i might not know everything that i think all the time but you know but but i have a good understanding of what i believe in and my beliefs and where i'm going and i've got a, a bit of life behind me is i've already done all that so it's it's my responsibility to help these kids so that they can do that and i think workshop is really the, one of the best ways to do it and that is of course giving them them choice and i'm not talking about my choice within my choices you know I, I we sometimes we we pigeonhole them because well we're willing to live with these 10 choices or these 5 choices and you can choose within these 5 and then we call that a choice and it's not really a choice that's just a manipulated choice it's just a way for us to make ourselves feel better so that we can say we did choice now i think there might be a place for You know, you don't want them going all over the page sometimes because what you're wanting to do is so broad that you do have to help them narrow it down. I I get that. I'm not against that. But I do think sometimes we're so afraid of what they're going to do because of the freedom that we give that we start putting... You know, caboshing a little bit of stuff here and there, and uh, so I, I think I think free choice is a way for them to differentiate uh, through interest, their own interest, and I think that's that's important. But I also think it's important. I mean, if you're you have to know what your standards are, and you have to be able to to me the manipulation, if you will, is how do I give choice and still maintain my standard. And I think that's where you have to do that, figure out what, how you're going to assess ahead of time so that you can, can stay on track. Because I do think that you can be in danger of going all over the place and never getting to your, your end goal. So, you know, it is a balance.
0: Well, and I want to kind of circle back to one thing you pointed out, which is uh, for kids who struggle... There And you and I have seen this. We've seen it as coaches. We've seen it as teachers. We've probably done this as teachers. When when we have a a struggling class, when we have struggling students, when we're working with kids who traditionally fail, we tighten up, right? Teachers have the tendency to tighten up choice. Okay, now you don't have free choice. You have these three choices or you have these two choices or you don't have choice at all. We tighten up what they read. we say okay you're not gonna you're not reading independently so I'm gonna solve that by forcing you to read this thing either together or as a whole group uh we we rob them of their individualistic choices and I think it's in it's at the beginning of uh, I don't know if it's in all the acts books but one of the acts uh it's it's in the blue one so the third edition correct or is it the fourth mm-hmm. edition? Yeah,
1: the third. No, the blue one's the third edition.
0: Yeah, so that's the latest one. For people that listen to this podcast, we're talking about Abydos, Joyce Carroll, um, the acts of writing. Um, acts of teaching writing, sorry. Uh, it's it's fantastic. But my favorite part of that book, if no one buys that book, read the intro. You can read it for free on Amazon, whatever. That intro is one of the greatest pieces of advocacy for choice in writing I've ever read Ever, It's beautiful. It's one of the most well-argued, like, intros Uh I've ever read. But one of the quotes that she says is uh, writing is one of the most rigorous activities that you can do in a classroom and giving kids those choices, letting them decide – How they present their writing, letting them decide their topics, letting them decide their tone, their mood, their purpose, all of that stuff. That is some of the most rigorous things that you can do in a classroom. And we get that in our content naturally, right? This is built into English classrooms, to literacy classrooms, letting kids use their voice for whatever purpose they do and skilled educators can take that interest and start guiding it into improving one bit at a time, one piece at a time, one word at a time, one sentence at a time. And it does take time, right? This this is not a a strategy you can sell on Teachers Pay Teachers. It's not. I would argue it's not even something you can summarize in a podcast or in a book because that's why there's so many people talking about this over the course of decades at this point because it is so rigorous and it's so multidimensional. But When you take struggling kids and you rob them of the most rigorous thing that they're going to be faced with, you are doing them a disservice right when we when we all, it's like a de-differentiation to rob struggling students of choice just because they struggle doesn't mean they need choice they need guidance they need a mentor them to help them learn what's a good choice how do you choose a good topic right how do you choose a good book how do you know if a book is too hard for you how do you know a piece is failing or working like those those might sound really basic depending on the grade level you're teaching but I would argue it doesn't matter if those are the questions your kids need to answer they need to know it and then they can move on but I I, I feel like I really sh- I feel for uh, the kids who struggle the most because I often feel like they are given, even less power over their education. And what's that that going to do to them? It's going to disempower them. It's going to disengage them. And now you're just perpetuating this life of being disengaged from education, which isn't going to help the struggling student.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned – Louise Rosenblatt and uh, efferent and aesthetic, but really you you kind of almost, just like in writing, you want to begin with what they, what they know. And in reading, if you can begin with the aesthetic, begin with them um, finding stuff that they can connect to and that they can enjoy and that they can experience, then you can move them to the efferent. But you can't start with the efferent and think they're going to enjoy reading. So really, you almost want to start with the aesthetic. What I think principles, and I think it has happened. You and I've seen it, uh, and that is where we stay there in the aesthetic, or we stay, you know, too long. You have to have again both. I also want to uh, bring back, you know, what you were talking about the missed opportunity for the for the learner, you know, the younger, you know, how we're going to, we disempower them. We take away their power, but you know, the same thing happens at the other spectrum on the GT side of it. And that is when it gets too broader, they're too smart and we can't, then we, we, we start narrowing down a lot of times there because um, we don't know how to let them go on um, because sometimes they they're reading at a college level and when they're reading at that kind of level, You know, as a middle schooler, you're looking at some content that they're going to be a part of that they're not emotionally okay to handle. So, um, that I find is also difficult. And when they can't have their choices, or they feel like they can't move on, or they can't. Uh, it gets kind of boring and then they they zone out, which is another issue. So 100%. it really is a tough thing.
0: This year, I think because I taught my kids for two years, you know, a lot of them just, I mean, they had a healthy reading diet for two years had a healthy writing diet for two years. I had a lot of kids, mm-hmm. I had to start buying different books that aren't, you know, they're not in middle school libraries. You know, they weren't, I, I was very conci- <laughs> conscious of, you know, what I put in their hands as always, but... You know, I had to go outside and kind of get to the high school level and bring in some stuff that, you know, is a little bit more risky, so to speak. But they were they were disengaging from reading because you at a certain point, you you know, you're right. You know, right. We we always talk about the struggling student, but the kids who are accelerating at such a massive rate, we have to be able to serve them, too. We have to be able to give them the, the right book at the right time to challenge them and ideas and give them complexity. You know, one of my. Hmm uh, students, you know, she was reading, uh, she had read, you know, pretty much like everything in my library. And she really liked it. But she was like, I want some sci-fi and I gave her Ender's Game. And she was like, Oh, I like this. This is pretty good. You know, Ender's Game, you know, it's, 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 it's not like in, amazingly like hardcore sci-fi. It's not like something that wouldn't be in a middle school, but it's far more complex than a lot of middle school books are. Right. And, but we took that and she's been on like this journey and she's read, um, we are the ants which is a really interesting YA sci-fi book. And she's kind of gone through all of these texts. And I had one student reading, she, was, she read every poetry book I had. She wrote the crossover. She read solo. She read all these things. And then she, but she writes dark in all honesty. She's had a lot of experiences. And so she ended up reading the crank series, which if you're unfamiliar, it's like each book is 800 pages, but it's about this girl uh, that is addicted to drugs because her dad gets her addicted to it. And it's kind of dark, but, I mean, she read all four of these 800-page wow. uh, books. And I'm just like, imagine if I was just so holed up on the, like, the, the quote-unquote appropriateness of content. Like, I think we think of appropriateness sheerly in, like, this... Almost like movie way, right? PG, PG thirteen, rated R, and I don't, I just don't think in terms of learning in school that you can always have those hard lines. I don't know. The people are, y- y'all know me. Like, <laughs> I think I got the most pushback on this podcast when I talked about having kids. You know, being okay with them using a swear word every once in a while when they're writing. So pe- the, the, right. pe- people that you know. So I know that I'm a little bit more leaning on this stuff but I think it's because I I have seen it work for the for the kids that I serve it's not like we're swearing all the time you know we're not dropping f-bombs in every piece or whatever but you know I, I just believe in the empowerment of the mind and if they are at the level where they can not only read and understand a book like crank but relate to it because it's a it, it connects to their lives and and not only read the book but go on to read the series and then be inspired by it like I feel like I'm. It's educational malpractice not to be the guide in that place because what am I going to do elsewhere? I'm like, no, you need to read. You need to read another Kwame Alexander book, right? You need to go read another another one of these books. And what are they going to do? They're going to disengage, and they're going. We're going to then take our most brightest and say, nope, you can't go anywhere until you're at high school. Now you're you're stuck here, right? right? This is your cat. cat sorry, happy. sorry for your age. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that happens and I've seen that happen quite often. Um, so do you ever do you when when you have something like that, do you get the parents involved? Uh do they have a say at all in what the student reads or how do you deal sure. with that? Uh
0: sometimes I mean we have uh like I had a kid who was reading I mean, she was reading at such a high level last year and she comes to me and she goes, Chestane, yeah, I want to read thirteen reasons why and I was like, Okay. <laughs> I, we, we don't. Okay. We don't. We don't have thirteen reasons no. why in our school. I don't have it in my library. All that other stuff. So I reached out to mom and I said, "Hey, mom, she wants to read this." I was like, "Just so you know, I'm okay with it. Like, if if she wants to read it, that's fine." I was like, "I'm not gonna give her this book, but if you would like to do that." Um, why? I'm perfectly okay with her reading at during time. And then sure enough, she showed up like the next day, mom went and bought it a half price books. She had 13 reasons why. So I had in those instances, um, if a student has a book that, you know, I haven't read every single book, but, um, one of our other teachers on our campus, like they read a lot of YA and you know, YA is very broad. There's a lot of risky stuff in some upper grade YA that, you know, not every middle schooler frankly should see. Um, but, Some have those books. And so what will happen is we've had teachers respond in a way to where we don't want to, you know, if we see a kid reading it, we'll just send an email home. We'll call, say, hey, they're reading this book. I just want you to know there's some of this content in there. Uh, If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. And just kind of have that relationship of whatever. But also on on the other side of, you know, hey, we have some books here that we have a spectrum. We're in middle school. We're right in the middle of, you know, kids loving Harry Potter And loving more, you know, the hate you give type books. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's a hard balance to have. So we send letters home. We have parents sign it and we let them know, hey, if your kid ever comes home with a book from our school that you don't find appropriate, you are the parent. You have control over what you want them exposed to or not. We're never going to teach those. We're never going to use those really as uh, excerpts, any of those more risky, like obviously more mature books. Uh, but they they could have an independent reading so if you as the parent do not feel you're comfortable with that let us know we will back you 100% because i i feel like the you know teachers even though we are you know the arbiters of education i feel like there's sometimes teachers can overstep their bounds and take mm-hmm. activism in their work and i i don't feel like the teacher really should be an activist at a at a, at a fundamental level, which is, you know, we should we should be an activist in terms of making sure kids the best education, we're serving them the best and be up on what's new, but we shouldn't be pushing agendas or anything like that kind of uh, on our students. So, you know, having that parent relationship, I think is very important because parents, like if we want, there's a reason parents pull their kids out of schools a lot of the time and homeschool and do that stuff. And it's because they feel like education doesn't partner with them enough. So I feel like we owe it to the parents for obvious reasons, uh, to, uh, to help them, you know, to, to serve their kid in a way that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree. I think that the parent, or course, me as a parent, I wanted to know what my kids were reading and I didn't agree with everything that they, they picked up. And, uh, So we would talk at home about it, you know. Uh, But very rarely did I have a teacher ever say, hey, I just noticed that your child's reading this. Um, We're not teaching it, but just wanted you to know they're reading it. I never had that as a parent. So I think that would have been nice to have a heads up on some things.
0: Well, and you know, it takes takes an aware teacher to do that, right? I think the reason Mm -hmm. why a lot of us on our campus can do it, because we read a lot of those books. You know, I don't, I don't read, like I said, I don't read all of them, but I'm pretty well versed in them. Um, and I, I think, honestly, a lot of parents will okay books because they might be classics, but they, they don't realize that some of the classics are far more hardcore than books written today. Right. So.
1: <laughs> right. That's true. But. That is true. I don't know.
0: I. You know, w- with that said, right, bringing parents in, bringing everyone in, I want to bring everyone in here real close and say thank you for listening to the te- oh, I said, teach
1: me teacher podcast
0: <laughs> oh my god thank you for listening to craft and draft ladies and gentlemen. if you didn't know i also have a podcast called teach me teacher <laughs> I where i say that i'm so sorry this is the craft and draft podcast this is the podcast with two seventh grade ela teachers in texas that's Pam cho i'm jacob chastain but combined we have decades of experience in workshop, but really, we're just teachers who really love what we do and want to talk about it on a show. So, hopefully, if you enjoyed this, ladies and gentlemen, hit subscribe so you get a podcast every single and if you every single week. But if you get a, if you subscribe, you might get an unedited version of a podcast <laughs> uh, and get to hear all of our weird things that we should cut out, but you get to hear because you subscribe. So you get perks with subscribing. Uh, leave a review, hit a star rating, share this with your team. Hopefully you laughed along with us If you disagreed, message us If you agreed, message us Follow us on the Facebook page If you can support us over there That'd be wonderful Go to craftdriveworkshop.com To find all the other episodes If you would like And know that we are here For you